This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. First of all, I want to thank all of you that have recently become patrons of this show via Patreon. I'm realizing that just talking about it more and telling you why has caused a ton more people to decide to become patrons. So maybe I'll just get real frank. In 2020, because of the pandemic, this show lost 50% of its ad revenue. That's not unusual. It was a tough time for podcasting. And why does that matter? Well, the ad revenue pays for Sierra's work on the show. It pays me to have this as a job. And when we lost half of our revenue, what that did was put the show in the red. So what you have all done by becoming patrons is made it possible for us to continue to do this show. Can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You can go to patreon.com slash, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash heyqueeros. You can look at all the different tiers. You can support for a dollar. You can support for way more than that. And you can come to a Zoom with Sierra and I. Anyway, it's all on the Patreon. And if that's not your thing, it is always helpful to us if you subscribe, if you download, if you tell your friends about the show and post about it on socials. Social posting. Hooray. And now time to shout out this month's Patreon's patrons. Patreon patrons. <laughs> Paula Vavadowski, Kevin Fry, Brittany Carlson, Chloe Vicker, Jennifer Hunt, Audrey Rauer, Hannah Booth, Jamie, Rachel McIntyre, Danny Elkhorn, Fiona Ding, Madeline Broom, Amy A., Charlie, Levon Suwake, Brenda Y. Esposito, and Catherine Michaels. Thank you, all of you. You make this show possible. Today's episode. Look, we had a cancellation from a guest last week because of this dang snowstorm. So we whipped together a best of with all the awesome directors we've had on the show. Cleo Duvall, Alice Wu, Brittany Nichols, Madeline Alenik, Fazia Mirza. Actually, I'm not sure that that's all, but with a bunch of the amazing directors we've had on the show. Please enjoy this episode. Thank you for your support. Have a great day. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still You s- oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. When, when you say that there wasn't anyone else like you, talk talk me through that. What do you mean? That I, I don't know. I was just kind of, you know, I was weird and I wasn't the like, um, you know, I wasn't the just like the bubbly girl. I wasn't like able to fit into that like, you know, the 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 box that I think a lot of young actresses very easily slide into um, or people who can mold themselves into that sort of like ingenue that wasn't me. And that, yeah, I think that's what I mean. That's really interesting because I feel like I would have thought with my own experience that maybe you meant like um, like something physical, like not feeling comfortable in the same clothes. But what I think was interesting about what you said is that there was like a personality element to, yeah. um, like, I don't know what the opposite of bubbly is, like a sort of, um, I mean, you're like super witty, you know this, and, and but it's also like dry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could understand that as being the opposite of bubbly. And knowing that if this is the, the personality that you had when you were, uh, you know, 18 or whatever, then yeah, I guess that is an under, an unusual personality for like an actress to have who's trying to get into Hollywood, who's just like, no, I have like this great sarcastic wit. Isn't that what you guys are looking for? Yeah. Aren't you looking for this? <laughs> who's, who's looking for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that, you know, and not that they're, they're, you know, that not that I'm not saying that one thing is better than the other. Oh no, other of course not. Yeah. All, like I'm, I, you know, but I think that people didn't know what to do with me. And I think particularly like, you know, the actresses come in and they are, you know, come into auditions and they have a certain, you know, 
I don't know. They're like, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Because I don't want to, I, I, in no way do I want to say anything that's like negative about anybody else or negative about myself. I think it's, or negative about the people who didn't know what to do with me. You know, I think, but when, you know, like you have this image of this idea, you know, if you say 19 year old girl and you have like an image of what that is going to be, I don't really fit what that image is. Like if you're playing Pictionary and the clue was 19 year old girl and you drew a picture, you know, you wouldn't draw a picture of me. And I, some of what you're talking about is actually a little bit of gender identity. Like, not, oh, yeah. you know, not like fully. And I don't just mean like, again, when I say gender identity, I think a lot of times we, were t- we think we think about like clothes or haircut. Mm-hmm. But there's also the like, like you said, you're not saying that one thing is better than the other. But like, if your gender identity is more with, with um, I mean, I wish we had better words, but like a little bit of masculinity involved mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like uh like a solid jawline yeah. that you and I both have, yeah. you know, then like um, there's something to the way that that invades your personality or that it's part of your personality or that it's celebrated in your personality. And mm-hmm. um, like, I, I mean, I can actually be kind of bubbly if I try to turn it on. Uh, I don't know that I like it in myself mm-hmm. if I hear myself do it. Cause sometimes I'm like, who am I doing this for? Yeah. But you don't have that thing. I'm trying to think. I think that I do. I mean, I think that I do. I think that I, I think it, uh, when I was younger, I was so fiercely protective of my identity that I felt like if I was anything other than the idea of what I thought I should be for myself, like if I strayed from that, I felt like I was being inauthentic. But I think as I get older and more comfortable in myself, I can explore different sides of my personality and accept them as parts of me as well, rather than thinking that I'm like trying to be something that I'm not. Oh, I love that. That makes a lot of sense. I hear that. I mean, that's kind of the same thing as that thing that's talked about when like a queer person comes out and then they're like very out mm-hmm. for like a mm-hmm. couple years. And then they're like, it's like a tide where they're yeah. just like crashing on the shore and they're just like, I only wear this and this is all I do. And yeah. I only talk about this. And then it kind of like neutralizes a little bit because mm-hmm. we're like sort of testing the edges. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think you're right. As you grow up, sometimes it can be a little easier to, like, not always be at the edge of yourself, but sometimes yeah. just be, like, in the middle. Yeah. Um, your career also, like, you're out. Yeah. I am now. But I was going to say, but you haven't always been. I have not always been. That's true. How did that change? <laughs> like, the I'm making your finger. I was. This was before finger shake, but I did like it. This was before and after. But you're right. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen? Um. Well, how did it happen? I. How did it happen? Uh, how did I come out? Or why did it, like, when I didn't come out, why? Okay, let's ask multiple questions. How okay. This? Um, when did you make the decision to talk about it publicly? Well, I never really made a decision, because there was no, like, declaration for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just sort of, you know, it was not, you know, I wasn't hiding it. You know, I it was, you know, certainly not. And if you look at my closet, I think that you definitely can see that well, I was not sure. pretending. I mean, sure. I'm wearing a Carhartt jacket. Right yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, no, 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 my boyfriend's great. You'd be like, yeah, sure he is. I'm sure she is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I definitely had people professionally tell me to not come out. I also wouldn't tell people um, when I was working with them that I was gay unless I got like very, very close to them. Um, I just didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about it in interviews, but then when, but I'm a cheerleader came out, it, you know, people and it, it, and it inevitably came up and I would kind of avoid it or say it's about the person, you know, like I really didn't, you know, I just didn't talk about it. And then there was this one journalist who really was trying to out me and that really freaked me out because it felt so predatory in this way where you know your identity is your business and it's your business to like who you want to share it with and when you want to share it and I was young you know I was just a kid 
and to and a kid who, you know, like you don't know my background. You don't know what my family is like. You don't know if my family even knows. Like it just felt so um, yeah, it just felt so predatory in this way that was that it really freaked me out even more and wanted me to come out even less. And then wow. there were there have been other people who would try to out me and like when it becomes gossip and um it feels bad because then it feels negative. You know, it feels like, oh, you're hiding something because it's bad and I'm going to expose you, you know, and it, it, and it doesn't, doesn't create an environment where you feel like you can, where you can be your authentic self because you're, you know, it feels like you're being found out, you know, feels negative. Um, and then I, when I wrote, I, I directed, I wrote and directed a movie that I was also in, and I wrote this part for myself that was um, a gay I, a gay character um, because I felt I felt like I wanted to play a character that felt like me, you know, that really, you know, because I never, I feel like I never really get to play, or not often do I get to play the parts that are like me that much, and it sounded fun. Um, and I knew that if I was, if I was telling the story, it felt really, uh, dishonest for me to write myself like a straight role because why, you know, when it's my opportunity to tell the story that I want to tell and have the kind of representation that I want to have, why would I then make the choice to closet myself? So, um, I wrote that part and I knew that it was sort of like, even though I was, you know, would like go places with my girlfriends and stopped hiding it from people that I worked with. And like everybody in my life knew at that point, um, I, it, the, it sort of symbolized for me, like the time where I was just going to stop like playing the pronoun game and like stop avoiding and just be, you know, talk about it openly. Um, and I had really hoped to, um, I'd really hoped to be able to like sit down and talk to someone and talk about like what the experience of um, being out and, you know, all the whole, the whole journey of it all. And then it sort of got taken away from me in that same kind of way that bothered me before of like someone trying to like take ownership of me, you know, of like making like a choice write for your, me. Like write your coming out article. Is that kind yeah. of what you mean? Well, yeah, because I had done this. I had, I did a panel for Outfest that was not. There was no, you know, I was told like there's no, there's no public, there, uh, there's no press there, and um, you're just talking to filmmakers and like young people, and you can be, you know, like so you don't have to, you know. I didn't. I don't think I washed my hair, so you know, which is if I know that I don't, whatever. Um, and then I was there, and I was being very candid about like. Because it was the first time I'd really talked about the movie, other than at Sundance, which I was like. Pretty and this movie open is the intervention. The intervention, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I shouldn't talk about because I'm really like calling somebody out that, but because I thought, but I think it's an interesting thing, like the whole concept of outing people and um, making that decision for people. I think is like you know, as an actor and as someone who um, really benefited so much from becoming comfortable and being able to like speak openly about my life and not feeling like it was something I needed to hide, um, being able to come to that journey, you know, go through that journey on my own and make that decision on my own terms was so meaningful to me. And I think the media sometimes goes after actors and really makes it their business and tries to expose them. And I think it's so damaging and it's so unfair, you know. Well, you're also talking about you just happen to have, because of how young you were when you started, mm -hmm. and then, like, the years that you happen to have worked, it's like you're a young person. You're not, like, an 80-year-old person. Yeah. But you have spanned mm -hmm. a massive change yeah. in our culture. Like, massive. Um, and worked the whole time. Mm -hmm. So I also think, like, this situation that you're talking about would be handled so differently with a person who is the eight, who is 18 now. Oh my god! Right yeah. or 21 now? Yeah. Because like the article, if somebody wrote the kind of article you're talking about, like number one, they might potentially face backlash mm -hmm. for taking that away from somebody. Yeah. Like what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then number two, like the actor might 
announce on social media, like in a way that just like covers all bases at once kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, so that it's not like a press release. Yeah. But it's also not um, super precious mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Because yeah. I can imagine also you're in this situation where it's like there's no way for you to communicate this information without being like very precious about it. Without yeah. being like get me like the one interview where I'm going to sit down and like tell the real story about yeah. me, Cleo. Which I mean I'm just just knowing you a little bit seems I, like yeah, you would, would fucking hate. Yeah. Um, I mean whoever would like that. Yeah. I don't know but. But uh, it just – it seems like a real rock and a hard place yeah. to have been in. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, I think I was able to sort of come out in a way that felt, you know, where it wasn't a big declaration. Like, it that's was awesome. more just like, you know, it was – it felt more like a – like confirming what everyone already knew. Yeah. I guess that – so number one, what I was just talking about was like just compassion for you. Mm. Not at all that I don't think – I mean, that I don't think I would have – I wouldn't have put that together about the intervention, but I love that that's what that movie meant to you. Mm-hmm. It's such a good movie, and, like, you got to premiere it at Sundance and all this stuff and, like, have all these positive experiences around it, like this bit of success around mm-hmm. it, you know, which I think that must have been great to it, have that be the reception for something that was so personal. For sure. It it really was. It was especially, like, being at Sundance— with but I'm a cheerleader all those years before and having someone actively trying to out me at that festival and all these weird things going on and having it feel so negative and me like wanting to hide, which is what ultimately I ended up doing. I just hid from everything. I would work, but I wouldn't go to premieres. I didn't want to do press. Like I didn't want to expose myself. There were roles that I got offered in great fucking movies that I didn't take because they were gay characters because I didn't want people to know, you know, because it just felt so intense. And then to, you know, all these years later, be there with a movie that I wrote, that I directed, a story that I wanted to tell, playing a gay character and being able to talk openly about, you know, being a gay person and have it not be a big deal and have nobody like lurking in the shadows trying to get like a photo of, you know, my girlfriend and I, um, you know, walking out of a party, you know, like it felt really nice. It felt like a real, like very full circle. Like anytime I can, anytime you can, anytime you can expand the human capacity for empathy, then like I've won, right? Like that's really, as a filmmaker, that's my primary goal. And for you to be like, God, I watch Saving Face and that feels like what I want. I I relate. These people feel real to me. And with the half of it, what I wanted is somebody in the heartland or maybe from one of these towns. And it's also part of why I went with Netflix because I had three financial possibilities and two of them would have meant theatrical. But that's a whole other story. But at the time, I was like, the truth is those people in those towns are not going to go to a landmark theater to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. There's probably not even a landmark theater. <laughs> but then the privacy of their own home, they might, they might press play. Yeah. And if my goal as a filmmaker is to try and change hearts and minds, then I want some kid to watch this or maybe like an adult to watch this and make them think about, for some reason in any tiny white town, there's always one family that is like a person of color family or immigrant. Like every town has like one and I want them to maybe think about that family or maybe think about that kid everyone's calling a fag, right? Like if I can get them for just a moment to like go along and start to fall in love with these characters, then I've done my job. Um, and so that's, in a way, I don't know if that helps address why I've I've chosen this setting, but that that's actually why. And, and, and it was a sort of weird collision of Trump getting elected. <laughs> my realizing that, you know, and there's another piece to this too, which we we might cover or not, but my realizing like, oh, I'm really not somebody who makes films just to make films. Mm-hmm. Like I don't ever have the desire. Like, I, I, I don't know. It, 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 for me, it has to be connected to a sense of purpose. Well, I would, I would also add that for me as a queer person, I don't necessarily, Necessarily want. Um, I don't necessarily yearn for media where we just remake the straight 
story, but with a character that looks exactly the same, but now kisses a guy. I, I mean, I, I, um, like for instance, and I'm not trying to be a dick. Like I, you know, I watched the movie Love Simon because I watched like all queer things. Um, and that movie to me felt like it might do some of the things that you're talking about in terms of bringing a straight person along for a care for a story where they care about a queer person. For me as a queer person, the entry point of like this sort of like very ripped um, guy. I don't know. I just, I, I think there is also something about, you know, you're talking about the, the sort of underdogness or, you know, the, the specificity of using the immigrant experience, using some of that. And like the way that your character is styled, that your main character is styled, for instance, in the half of it, she is, did you, is that actor, is she, I have, I know that she's been in a lot of other stuff. I haven't seen her in other things. She deliberately lowering her voice. Do you know if that's no, true? No, no, no. That's, that's just her voice. But I don't think she was, at least at the point, I, I was very, very adamant about casting fresh faces. Mm-hmm. Although since I cast her, she's now on Nancy Drew. Right. But she wasn't okay. at the point I cast her. Got it. I but thought no, I had just missed she it. She has a beautiful, I love low voices, apparently, because someone pointed <laughs> out to me that both my main character, both the women have lower voices. But I, I do. Um, she, that is her voice, which I love. Um, and, but that said, she in real life is nothing like that character. She's uh, like, yes, I did look very at her Instagram. Popular. <laughs> I know. I can't, like, I adore her and I've laughed and told her, like, I'm always like, her Instagram comes up and I feel like a mother. I'm like, oh my God, hold on someone. Like, you know, why is she just bikini? Stop. Like, I feel very protective. Like, nobody watch. And, and the thing is, she's like a young adult. I have to let her grow up. But in she's my got heart, her own. I'm like, path yes Yes. but you know she's lovely yeah i think there's there are lots of choices like well for instance i don't even know again obviously something in you that sparked to that actor like she does have a low voice and i'm not saying every queer person has a low voice but but um like there's something about the way that she's using her voice that feels like okay that's a believably queer person uh to me you know uh her like middle part and her glasses and yes. the layering. Is, she of would clothing. never ever wear that in real yes. life. I think she was slightly horrified at the way I styled her, <laughs> <laughs> but it also helped her get into character. You just said something so astute, though. That is her voice, but we actually had to spend a fair amount of time uh, rehearsing beforehand for me to like create the conditions to help her get into character, um, and. She very much, she's very smart and quick, and she likes to deliver the line like she's in on the joke. And I kept saying, it's funnier if you're dry about it, and it's funnier when you play everything straight. Like, don't don't mm-hmm. deliver it like you think this is funny. I promise you'll be funnier. And I remember her being like, I don't know about this. But then she watched the final movie and was like, oh, my God, this is much funnier than I thought it would be. But a lot of it was working with her on her was like she, her sometimes the way that she would deliver something it would be a lot of stripping that away so that she started calling it like low grounded alice i think was the name she came <laughs> <up with. laughs> like i forget what it is but it's like that so you're right um i i i don't think she's i don't think she's putting on a low voice but there is a manner that i would sort of slow her down and ground her sure um and it it's more emotional, like the emotional work she did to strip away her, like she's she's got so many wonderful attributes, right? That are are she's infinitely cooler than I am. And when she was that age, was you know, it's like she's she, uh, she's amazing. She, I hope you get to meet her. But then to have to strip away the things I've always worked for you right? Like the way she is works so well in society and to be forced to slowly peel those away to get to the vulnerability was, I think it'd be a challenge for anyone. And I was so blessed that 
You know, because I saw something in her. I'm like, her instincts are not at all these characters' instincts. But she's fascinating to watch. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I just, I remember I would just, like, go to stores and it would be, like, so close to, like, being fine with me. I'd find, like, a flannel shirt and I'd be like, oh, here we go, guys. <laughs> and then there'd just be, like, a ribbon tying it up in the back. And I'm like, why is this even here? I still feel like that's true. I still feel like sometimes I'll be like, oh, my God, a menswear vest with some amount of space for a bosom? Oh, great. And then on the back, it just says, like, I'm a girl that likes to date boys. It just, like, says that in script. How, why? What the hell? This <laughs> is a business outfit. Why'd you write that on there? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was just wearing like sort of the plainest jeans I could find. And then like a lot of like crew neck sweatshirts or just like Nike tees. Just kept that part. Um, and wore my hair in like a ponytail, not braids as much. But then eventually I went back to the braids. They were too good. You have good, did you have good, you had good French braids? I had good French braids. Iverson was big. <laughs> right. That's the other thing. It's like when sort of things would like come into play that like made it okay, where it just like stopped sort of being a signal. Mm. Whereas like before that, French braids, you would look like a little boy and you couldn't do it. But then Iverson got big and sort of like everyone was wearing French braids. So it was like fine again. So it was like, ha ha. I'm, I'm just one of those. Plain I'm exactly. I just like Alan Iverson. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I also, you know, um, having some bit of sportiness can really help, too, because mm -hmm. then if you're somebody who wants to wear Nike stuff yeah. and you're like, but like legit, I <laughs> do Nike in the world. Yeah. I do go out at Nike. <laughs> like, I think that that can also help for uh, queer kids who are cultured female, like so, to queer kids who are like being mm -hmm. raised in a, as women and just like. Well, no, I'm not like that. Yeah. I'm just a baller. I'm right, just exactly. Like, I just love basketball or like, she's a, she's a tomboy. She'll grow out of mm -hmm. it. Like sort of all of that protection, which is also just like denial and ended up hurting me way more than it helped probably because it was just like, oh, we all have to prove we're not gay because now the assumption is since we're girls that play basketball and enjoy like aggression and competitiveness and being good at things, which are these quote-unquote masculine traits, we now have to, like, push against all of that to prove that we are, like, straight and feminine and all these things. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, for real. I mean, I guess I didn't... I guess I didn't, like, have that... Well, so the whole time I was playing basketball, like, in high school, mm -hmm. I had a boyfriend, mm -hmm. so that also really helps you out. Yeah. Um, so I guess I wasn't thinking that much about like proving my, but is that something that you felt like you were thinking about that consciously? Like now that I'm in this category of people, I'm a basketball player. Mm -hmm. Like I have to disprove this thing people assume about me. Yeah. Hmm. We're, we're, which of course, who knows how much everyone else was feeling that, but I was feeling it a lot because it was true and I couldn't yeah. admit it to myself that it was true. And I also didn't want it to be like. I didn't want other people to have the power over, like, who I am, where they got to decide before I even got to decide. Right. And that's, I think, really what it felt like of, like, no, I need to, like, discover this on my own. I need to, like, ha be empowered to, like, go on my own journey to learn that I'm queer. I can't, like, it's not fair that you tell me and then I either have to accept it or push against it un until I come to this realization. So what was your high school experience like in terms of, 
like friendships or like stuff you were into? Was it very basketball dominated? Were you doing other stuff? Like what was your experience um, like? Yeah, it was very basketball dominated. Um, I was doing like sort of the other extracurriculars, extracurriculars here and there because, you know, trying to build up your college resume and all that sort of thing. Um, but it was mostly just the girls from my basketball team and then the girls from my club basketball team. So it was like I had friends at other schools, but it was all basketball related. And all the boys that I hung out with were athletes, too. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because you were like good. You were like yeah. universally regarded as good. So Yeah, and you, in Chicago, there's like definitely a culture of that of like, you know, all the other good players mm-hmm. you, and even with relationship stuff, it's like, oh, then like sort of it's cute when the like. Guy from this school who's, like, really great at basketball pairs up with the girl from this school who's really good at basketball and then love and basketball. I was just going to say, are you telling me love and basketball is real? (laughs) I did not know. I watched that as, like, a fantasy, being like, this is so beautiful. I did not know that is a real. (laughs) Yeah, people were really trying to make it happen. Okay, all right. And that was, that became sort of my uh, way of dealing with it within myself. Again, now I can look back and be like, ah, oh, yes, you dork. That is why you were doing all yeah, of these things. Sure. But back then it was like, oh, yeah, I'll just be like flirty with this guy from our rival high school. And everyone will be like, LOL, they're so funny and cute. Ha ha ha. But I never have to see this person or do any. Like I can go to the movie with them once a month and that's enough to like throw people off the scent. Or yeah. Whatever. F- friend, I get it. <laughs> Devout Catholicism will help you with that, too. If you're like, honestly, I can't have sex because I just can't. Because, like, Jesus. I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. That J- Jesus is the equivalent of, a, of, of somebody goes to a different school. There's the same thing. Were you, like, recruited to play on the um, travel team and stuff that you played on? Or, like, how? Um, there was a – I tried out in eighth grade. Yeah. So it was, like, this big Adidas team in Chicago called Hoops Express. And then – By the way – Love the name. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and then they had like sort of a junior version um, where you could try out. And then if you were good enough from that team, then it like fed into this older team. And so since I was like really good in eighth grade, I was like playing on that team and also playing on like the upper team or whatever. What is it like being you have these really close relationships with women and like you have all this going on inside of you? Intense. I can I mean please tell me more please tell me more um I mean because it was just we were all so close because you literally would be with them like Saturdays and Sundays we would have practice for like three hours for us on the younger team we would have like practice with our team for two hours and then we would go practice with the other team for two hours so that's like your whole weekend is just with these girls in the summer we're practicing all the time we're traveling to other states and staying in hotel rooms together mm-hmm. where we're sharing beds. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, like, I'm sure there are other people. I mean, it's just crazy to think back to, like, what was probably going on that I was not privy to. Like, people were for sure, like, hooking up and kissing and everyone's a fucking closet case. But everyone's in love with each other and everyone's making out. And I was just, like, so by the rules and by the book and, like... I don't want anyone to think this about me, even though I'm clearly in love with my best friend and everyone can see it and no one knows how to talk about it. So it's just like intense. And I couldn't admit it to myself. And so I just had like one weird friendship that like sort of went off the rails for a little bit because like we just all couldn't, like no one could deal with what Mm. was happening. Yeah. Even though nothing physically ever happened. Right. I mean, I had had that friendship a couple times. Mm Mm-hmm. In my life that, Yeah, like, I had it in college. <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, for me, those people that you had that friendship with, uh, the other side, queer? Mm-mm. Yeah, me neither. And we've talked about that, actually. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, so, which is also interesting, because, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I don't know how much, I don't know how much of this played into it for you, but for me, I know I was also, like, I don't I had no conscious awareness of what was going on mm-hmm. except that there was like some part of me that didn't want to make somebody uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so the yes, I, the same. idea that I knew there was something I could do that m- could make somebody uncomfortable was that that was the full extent of my awareness. Mm-hmm. I didn't even like know what that was. Right. Just there's like something I could do that here. Yeah. <laughs> there's something I could do here. Mm-hmm. Don't know what it is. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, the moment I think that even started to come into play was my best friend was like sleeping over as she did like all the time. And we were in the basement lying on my couch, like watching a scary movie, like both lying down and like spooning and cuddling. And then my dad came down the stairs and when he came down the stairs, we put like jumped as if we'd been doing something. And then he like sort of left and in my mind, I was like, why did we jump like we were doing something if what we're doing is fine? Right. Then I was like, oh, this is something I should feel shame about. This is something I just tried to like hide from someone, even though on the surface, it's not nothing romantic is supposed to be happening. And we're two girls. So like what? What could we even be doing? Man, that's so interesting. I mean, my my version of that is actually like always alone. I for like a similar reason, I would like rent movies that I I wasn't allowed to watch like Ellen or like anything gay. Mm-hmm. Um or like Rosie, like post their coming out, mm-hmm. there was like not a lot in my house. And then one time my dad came in and I was watching the MTV Movie Awards and it was when um uh, oh my god, Selma Blair and Buffy. <laughs> I hate myself. Sarah Michelle Geller. Okay. Kissed. Mm-hmm. They like won for best kiss and they kissed and my dad like walked in the back door from work at the moment when they were kissing. And mm-hmm. I, it was like, I mean, it was MTV. Right. Which by the way, we had like just gotten cable because mm-hmm. we weren't allowed to like have cable. And I literally think he was like, well, like no reason <laughs> for us to have cable. I was literally like, ah! like dad, this is literally never on. Mm-hmm. This is never on. There's never women kissing. But um, so I would like rent movies. Mm-hmm. And watch them in the basement by myself that were like that had like queer content. Yeah. I don't even know how I was finding these movies. Like like movies in the that like walking around Blockbuster video and then coming home with like all over me. Like where right. did I find that? Where yeah. was I how did you get that? How info? did I get that movie? Is it just a great poster? And you're I, like, I know what's happening here. I think so I just uh Yeah, and then watch those movies by myself in the basement. Yeah, we had the Blockbuster Pass. This was like in, you know, when Blockbuster was really throwing everything at the wall trying to stay in business. They were doing this thing where you could check out two movies and just like keep them for as long as you wanted. And I would be at my dad's. My parents like got divorced when I was like nine or something. And a lot of the times I would be at my dad's with him and my stepmom and my two youngest half-brothers and the rest of my siblings would be at my mom's. I had to stay for like basketball and stuff. And we would go to Blockbuster and they would pick out a movie for them. And I would get to pick out a movie for me. And it was always, I don't, and the same, like the internet was a little further along, but I know I wasn't getting this information from the internet. But I remember 13 came out and I was just like, I gotta fucking get this movie. <laughs> and I never could pull the trigger because I was so scared that they knew that the only reason I wanted to see it is because I'd heard that the girls in the movie kissed. And so every time I would like pick it up, Immediately, as soon as I got in, I would like make a beeline, like pick it up. Today's the day, gonna do it. And every time I would put it back and get like sideways Have or you- something. <laughs> <laughs> as my audience has gotten more queer, like I have to be a lot better. So I don't know that it's we've oh, yeah, gotten yeah. smarter, but my audience has because they That's know what's true. going on. That's true. I I have to be more interesting because I can't just come out and be like. Yo, and the joke is, I'm also gay. You know, like, right, exactly. Because oh, totally, I, I have totally. to be so specific and yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I always use the argument because lots of people would be like, oh, they're just making theater for themselves. And it's like, well, when you go to, let's say, an ethnic restaurant, it's always a sign that the rest, the cuisine is really good when people of that same es- ethnicity <laughs> sure. are eating there. And that's the argument I would use wow, for. Wow, that's great. I love yeah. that, actually. That's like, I like love that. That's really interesting. Yeah, what an interesting I re- I, response. I, I, because a lot of, it was really weird. I would see a lot of playwrights who would give interviews and they'd be like, it's not just for gay audiences. It's not just for gay. And it's like, you know what? I'm a gay audience. Yeah. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, find a mail order husband so yeah. you feel better about <laughs> me taking a seat here? You totally. know? Like, yeah, I love that. I mean, it has to be, it can't just uh, rely on the novelty of, hey, we're queer. There has to be more to it with a gay audience because they've seen that already. That's right. And I, I'm also curious, as you're saying, you know, you taking the play from there somewhere else i mm-hmm. i will say i saw i saw fun home when i when it was on broadway and that was a uh-huh. very interesting experience for me you know i don't um always get to see queer performance like uh-huh. usually i am the queer performance right um, right right 
but you know, Broadway is like so mainstream um, that there were so many straight people there, yes. and it was an incredible experience sitting in an audience of straight people. Yes, and they had to watch us. Yes, and yes. that is an, a whole other thing that I really I realized I really hadn't maybe seen before, you know, because like if I go to a Tegan and Sarah show, like right. there are some straight people there, but like this was just, you know, it's Broadway. Like it's like, right, it's like right. white That's what was so amazing. That's with, what was so amazing about that production. So I'm amazed. You know, and queer yes. performers and the content and everything. It was, it's to me, I, it, I cried during it and I felt like, wow, like, I mean, cause yeah. I started making entertainment uh, queer entertainment a good 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So if you can imagine how different the world was then, um, the initial reviews then also were, you know, Madeline Olnick imagines Emily Dickinson is a lesbian as opposed to like this, wow. you know. So it's the whole world has changed and it is shocking. And um, to what you were saying before about kids, I used to teach preschool. But it was like there was always that fear that was like, oh, the kids and, you know, that kind of stuff where you just wish that they're just like there were Disney cartoons as 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 much as our society has gotten more um, educated until there is a Disney cartoon where a prince marries a prince or a princess marries a princess or someone identifies gender wise differently than their um, their birth gender, you know, like. Um, until there's that in Disney, kids are still going to have this framework put on their head because our narratives determine so much about how we think about ourselves. And and that's what this whole argument is over women directors. It's not about, um, gee, a lot of women don't get hired for this important job that's very prestigious and paid a lot of money because that's true in every industry. It's if we as a society have this ridiculously unequal treatment of women, where do people get that idea that that's okay? They get it in our movies and our TV shows. And the director controls how we perceive women. Literally, the director controls how you see people. Image size, image length, point of view, which characters we identify with, which characters we judge all of that is controlled, that narrative is pieced together by the director. And to not have female directors as part of that conversation literally makes it that all of us, even women watching movies, are in getting this subconscious prejudice themselves. Right. And we don't really talk about that. We don't talk about that a lot. And, and you know, I think that's, that is fascinating. I mean, one of the things that I found problematic when I sort of started, I, I call it emerging, emerging in, yes, in the queer emerging. world, um, is that I, I, the, want, everyone wants to define you right away. So whether it's, well, you wear these kinds of pants, that means you must have sex like this, or you have this kind of hair on your head or on your arms or whatever. Well, that means that you are this kind of queer woman or lesbian or butch or dyke or, you know, uh, femme or this or this. And I find that to be actually really limiting. And I think something that we do and we place upon each other is sometimes we just, even even we internally, the marginalized, want to define and identify our, our own to better understand them. And I think that's that's something that is problematic because I think we are always learning. Um, you know, one of the things that I think really got me into making my own art and my own work, like the first short film I made was very much, it was a three-minute short film. And it was a reconciliation of can I be gay and Muslim at the same time? Because up until that point, my experience of queerness was or gayness or lesbianness was very white. And so I thought, well, I have to sacrifice all of this to be gay. And so do I care about this identity the most of my brownness, my Muslimness, my growing up around Bollywood? Like, what is the thing? And that was the beginning then of a reconciliation of 
No, you just have to create your own identity and everyone's going to have opinions on everything else. And they're always going to, there's that noise will likely never go away, whether it's from queer people or from Muslim people or from brown people or from women, from feminists, from people who live in big cities or whatever. Everyone has an opinion on who you are and you have to transcend the noise (laughs) to be who you are. Where did you grow up? I was born in London, Ontario, Canada, but I grew up in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Okay. And your dad was in Pakistan when he passed. Is that where he lived? No, he was visiting. Um, my mother was visiting there. Uh, we like Growing up, we would always go to Karachi, Pakistan. I feel like I've been there maybe 12 times at this point, but that's where most of our family was. So my mother was actually... It's, it's I've, I've I've developed so much compassion and uh, empathy, compassion and and sympathy for my mother's journey as well. She was in Pakistan burying her mother who died in October of that year, and then my dad came to visit her, and um and then uh he passed away that night. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and so it was just such a tragic time for her as a human saying goodbye to these literally like monumental humans in her life. And she, um, so then we all flew there and he's buried there and then we flew back. Um, but that's why he was there. Was that the first time you had seen your family since starting to explore what was going on with you? In it terms was of your all sexuality? still very secret at the time. Yeah. Like, had you, had you even seen, cause I, I just no. admit, cause yeah. I, I remember like the first time I saw my family when this thing was going on for me, like yeah. I uh, don't have a great poker face. And I just was like, I didn't like, they didn't, we didn't talk about it then. It did not come, come up, but I just remember what that felt like, which mm-hmm. was like, uh, I just felt like it was like keeping so much in. I can't imagine if that had collided with what you're describing. Well, I mean, it was definitely like a lot of, it was a big intersection Mm -hmm. (laughs) of of stuff. I mean, and I, I mean, they talk, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of writing and you see this with like Asian families, immigrant families a lot where the patriarch dies and then suddenly there's a new pathway that opens up suddenly that maybe felt like impossible before. And so I do wonder if my dad didn't die at that moment, what my path would have been, because I definitely was the person who, when we went there and 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 buried him, you know, and the way death happens in countries like Pakistan is so different, where like you, the person has to be buried almost immediately. You don't wait to, you don't embalm them, you know, and, and the, you know, the, that person is brought to the home and, you know, the Quran is read. And then immediately within 24 hours where the body is still warm, like it's, it's, it's very, the, the body's placed into the ground. And so it's a very much like you are connected to, and, and the, the, the person who's passed in a very like, um, uh, you're, you're, you're touching them in a very different way. You're much closer to it than the funeral person, the funeral director, then they're going to be in a casket. That is not quite the experience. And then on top of that, the same gendered person also washes the body in Muslim tradition. So like my younger brother and um, my older brother was late getting there because he was in Hawaii at the time hiking. And so that's had- extremely far. Extremely <laughs> Just like, I, I understand the globe a little bit. That's far. It was far. It, we, it took a minute for us all to get there. But my younger brother and my two uh, uncles, you literally wash the body at this place and you're you're touching that person's body. He's wrapped, he or she is wrapped in a white cloth at the end. And I mean, it's 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 really beautiful. I mean, actually, when you think of how death, happens uh in in other spaces or in other traditions in, in Muslim tradition. But yeah, I remember being there and I was like, okay, I'm gonna be the strong one. I'm gonna be strong for my mom. I'm not gonna cry that much. And then I came back to the US and my mom still lives in Indiana. She was living in Indiana at the time. We're like, okay, we got to figure out finances, paperwork. Dad didn't, we call him Papa, we called him Papa. He didn't share everything with everyone. So we had to go like go through all the filing cabinets and figure everything else out. And we figured it all out. 
And then a month after that, I get back to Chicago and I was doing a play at the time. And Jonathan Barry, this director in Chicago, did not recast me because he's like, maybe she's going to need the play to come back to. And I did, did the play and I would go out. That's when I was just like, go out afterwards to gay bars. And then that summer, I just couldn't hold it in anymore. And that's when I was just out. I would just go out. I didn't really connect anymore with family. And I was just going to lesbian parties, lesbian nights, um, you know, and, and, and just didn't care anymore about being the good daughter or about what anyone thought or what anyone, they were wondering where I was. And I just, I just did what I wanted to do. And so that was, it was about three months of that <laughs> in the heart of Chicago. Sure. And I, and I guess that was then the summer of 2007. And, uh, and then at the end, it kind of emerged. And I was like, hmm, let me find myself again. Who mm. am I now? And I feel like that's been the journey. Who am I now has been the journey even to now, you know, even to moving to LA and being a person in this weird, wacky existence, being an artist and a creator and a writer in, in, whatever Hollywood, like, you know, it's, that's the question. I think that is a never stopped being a question I asked myself. And as you're, as you're, I'm going to like make a, I'm just, this is get a, in there. This do is it. A, I'm, I'm supposing something. Go ahead. Suppose um, it out. All right. Like today mm. you're, how many folks do you have like connection with that are both queer and were raised Muslim. Um, Big community, small community. What's like the vibe there? I would say that, you know, when I started talking about being queer and Muslim, I knew nobody at all. Um, It was even weird that I was a, you know, like sometimes the brown person or the Pakistani person, definitely the Muslim person, because it's like, that's not possible. Um, Since then, especially I would say even in the last three, four years, I think overall more queer Muslim people are coming out um, publicly in that way. Um, but I, I feel like I have, you know, uh, a, there's there's a lot of us. I mean, and, and actually, like there's actually a lot of us, I think in LA that I know of, in Chicago, um, in Pakistan. Um, and I say those cities because those are the ones I know the most people, I guess. Sure. Right. Um, but definitely in England, there's a huge, I mean, there's, there's strong out Muslim queer communities in Toronto. I know a really strong community. Um, and I think part of that is it, you know, the, the, the national or international narratives, the content that's out there supporting and creating queer Muslim faces and spaces. Um, I think, the internet and social media has mm. made people feel like they can connect to people all over the world. But I will say that I feel like we, like we've always been there, but we're just like got colonized real hard for like 400 maybe years. Everyone, sure. everyone got colonized. And then it was like, no, go back, go back. And whether that was, you know, Brown traditions go back or Muslim traditions go back or queer traditions go back. Um, I think we're, having that renaissance again now, another renaissance of queer identity that is embracing like the oldest traditions, which is wild because it's like, damn it, where were we 10 years ago, but also fucking beautiful. <laughs> 